Hello, people of the way. We're going to begin our study today in Ecclesiastes. If you can turn with me really quick to Ecclesiastes. Uh, today, we're going to finalize our study through the book of Leviticus. And we are going to take a brief look at vows. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1, thus says the word of God. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Prudently here is to guard, protect, to be observant, and to be understanding. And this is what the word is telling us to walk like. This is what our walk should be like when we go to the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. Very interesting. Drawing near to the house of God, we are to walk prudently which is observant with understanding and on guard and protective. But at the same time, we draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. So in the house of God, what do we see here? A picture of fools and the prudent and people who draw near to hear. That's the prudent. Now, I have a little secret message for pastors, elders, and teachers. Make it a high goal and a high effort to reduce distractions while the Word is being taught. Because you have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of a soul, inside of a heart, inside of a mind. You have no idea. Make extra, extra, extra effort. You know, for your cell phone, you might have a cell phone in your pocket. Put it on mute. Tell the congregation to mute their cell phones. And, you know, as much as you can, try really hard to reduce distractions. Because it's a very holy time when the Word of God is being taught. A very, very holy time. Because you have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing. You have no idea what's going on in people's hearts, people's minds, people's lives. You know, sometimes people can feel like they're on fire when, you know, the Holy Spirit is doing some hardcore conviction. And then sometimes the same message can be giving somebody extreme comfort. Because we have the manifold grace of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he does. He works inside of people in different ways. For the same purpose, the same goal, for people to walk with the Lord. to people, For people to be sharpened by the word and conviction of the Holy Spirit. But the levels with those aims, with those goals, the levels of intensity, the variance of whatever attribute, they're different. I mean, you've heard me tell you how in my uh, church in California, I felt like I was on fire. The pastor would be speaking and studying and reading from the Word of God, and I felt like somebody lit a fire under my seat. But just the, the, the seat next to me, somebody could have been in extreme comfort by the exact same message, by the exact same Holy Spirit, by the exact same Word of God. And that's what I'm talking about. 
try really hard to reduce distractions. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you're teaching the Word of God, it's a very sensitive time, very holy time, as people draw near to hear. Now, sometimes in a fellowship, people will draw near to the house of God for various reasons. But the transaction between the Lord and a soul, that's between them and God. And I say transaction because it's very personal, very intimate. That's between them and the Lord. You can teach, but the reason for a person coming to church the reason for a person to sit in the pews, maybe they want to sit next to their friends. Maybe they want to sit away so they can, uh, you know, kind of uh, be on their cell phones playing video games. Maybe they just want to, like, zone out. And I think it's so beautiful how, you know, when I was a very, very young Christian, I used to love sitting in the back, just getting lost in the sauce. And there was this beautiful, beautiful old couple they would always take me by the hand. My wife and I, they would always take us by the hand and come right to the very front row. Right to the very front row. They started saving seats for us. Because, you know, they got there early. Super early. And they would save seats for us. And I think it's so beautiful. It's not to be like a, you know, a little nerd. Like in school, you know, to be a little nerd and sit in the front of the class and be the teacher's pet. It's nothing like that at all. Because sitting in the front, it was, it was so beautiful because there was absolutely zero distractions. It was like, boom, pastor right there. Not that the pastor was like, you know, Mr. Big Shot. He himself was the one to, you know, just deny pride. But then at the same time, it's like, boom, right there. Just a small distance between me and the pastor. No distractions. People coming late to church. I had no idea because, boom, I had the pastor right there. And praise be to the Lord because this old couple, they helped me in my walk. They helped my wife with her walk. Beautiful, beautiful old couple. No distractions. And so look what happens here. The draw near to hear rather than give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart utter utter uh, anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you go to make a vow to God, very interesting, a vow to God. It's a promise is what a vow is. When you go to make a promise to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, what you have promised. Pay it. Better not to vow, or better not to promise, than to vow and not pay, or than to promise and not perform. Very interesting how we look at this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Little brief verses here. And we're going to see a perspective on how the Lord uh, regards vows unto Him. And now in Leviticus, in the closing of the book of Leviticus, we're going to read passages about paying vows and the exchanging of vows and keeping your promise. This is in accordance with the law. 
I shouldn't say keeping your promise, but for Israel to keep their promise. But for us today, you know, we make vows to the Lord, but we have to keep them. We have to honor them. You know, let your yes be yes, your no be no. I think people have to be very careful when, you know, they say, Oh, Lord, if you just do this for me, I will do this. I will serve you all my days. I will be a pastor. I will do this. I will do whatever. I'll be an evangelist. I'll, I'll do this. I'll be your servant for the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden, the Lord brings something to pass. He fulfills his end of the bargain. And you don't fulfill yours. We have to be very, very careful with those instances. Very, very careful. Because thus saith the word of God, it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Or it's better not to promise than to promise and not perform. And praise the Lord that we have a merciful God. Praise the Lord that He's gracious and merciful and loving. And that He works with us. But that doesn't change His perspective on certain things. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. Be very careful when you make promises to the Lord. You know, people make their you know, heartfelt prayers to the Lord for whatever reason. In their time of need, Lord, if you just do this for me, then I will do fill in the blank. And the Lord does His end. What happens with our end? Now let's go back to Leviticus 27. Closure of the book of Leviticus. In chapter 27, verse 1, the book of Leviticus, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord according to your evaluation. Now, this is very interesting what's happening here in verse 2, because you have all these statutes in the law that have been given. Things that we've studied thus far in Exodus, in Leviticus, and here at the closure you comes the topic of vows and making vows unto the Lord, promises unto the Lord. And what happens when a man consecrates by vow certain persons to the Lord? Now, something to keep in mind. Only Levites were to serve as priests. Only the Levites uh, duties of uh, service in the tabernacle, uh, it's for the Levites only. But here in the law, there's provisions for other tribes. I'll give you an example, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in Numbers chapter 1, verse 47, uh, it says, The Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, only the tribe of Levi you shall not number nor take a census on them of them uh, among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. So you have the Levitical priesthood, Aaron, his sons, and you know the their offspring, and you know all, all, all the Levites. They are specifically tasked for the duties of the priesthood, the work inside the tabernacle. And what does that say to all the other tribes? Does it say to them, hey, you cannot help, you cannot join in this endeavor? No. Now they can't do certain things. They can't do what the Lord prescribes specifically for the Levites. But these other tribes can still 
help and aid by means of thou. So let's go to Leviticus 27 now. And that's what's happening here in verse 2. When a man consecrates by vow certain persons to the Lord. So say we go back in time and we're in the tribe of Dan. We are residents, so to speak, in the tribe of Dan. Well, what happens when it's like, wait, you know, I want to partake in this ministry. We're going to, we, we perform all the things of the law. I'm not advocating the law, but I'm just for you, painting a picture here. We perform all the things of the law. But even still, there's this burning in my heart. There's this burning and yearning in your heart. Well, you know what? I want to serve the Lord with all my heart. And I'm not a Levite. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to consecrate by vow certain persons to the, to the Lord according to a specific valuation or a specific appraisal or a price estimate. This all comes at a cost. This all comes at sacrifice, with sacrifice. Things that are given in service to God, valuations for people. What we see in verse 2, animals. What we see in verse 9, houses, homes. What we see in verse 14, and then also fields. What we see in verse 16. I'll give you an example of what the Lord, how the Lord views vows. Turn with me really quick to 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is uh, for me one of the most beautiful vows ever. One of the most beautiful vows ever that I've you know I've been I've been alive for forty some years, give or take several years. I forget, and I've seen people make vows, you know, wedding vows, marriage vows, you know, not you know minimizing those. But I love this vow that we see in Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There's a specific gal, a beautiful, beautiful woman by the name of Hannah. And she's barren. She can't have kids. Look what she says. Look what happens here in verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow. Remember, a vow, a promise unto the Lord. And said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the, affl the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your ma maidservant a male child. And here's her end of the bargain. Of her vow, I shouldn't say bargain, but. If you do that, Lord, that's what she says. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Whoa. You hear me talk about Eli and his, you know, defunct Eli, the high priest and defunct kids. And the kids didn't even know the Lord. Eli, the end of verse 13, Eli thought she was drunk. Hannah's praying. And verse 13 says, Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. He even told her, you know, put wine away from you. Verse 14. I'm not a big fan of Eli. But I love how his example is here. A model of what not to do. A model of the bad. And so look here in verse uh, 20. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him, 
because I have asked for him from the Lord. You see how beautiful this is? God, uh, God heard, you know, heard by God. That's Samuel, the name Samuel. In verse 22, what happens is, you know, the husband Elkanah, they go and they do the yearly sacrifice in verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And so in verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. So notice what Hannah is doing here. Formerly barren. She has her son. Her beautiful, beautiful son. She's weaned him. And she's fulfilling her end of the bargain. Her end of the promise. She's keeping her vow before the Lord. She's not a fool. What we read in Ecclesiastes. How uh, the Lord takes no pleasure in fools. You know, when you make a vow to the Lord, do not delay to keep it. The Lord has no pleasure in fools, and Hannah is definitely not a fool. What a beautiful, beautiful maidservant of the Lord. Her son. She takes her son, and she fulfills. And she doesn't come empty-handed. She's giving her son, and she comes with offerings to the Lord. She's not empty-handed. So she's giving her son, which is, you know, that's a heavy cost. But she's also giving more because it comes as, at, with sacrifice. In verse 25, then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. So she now leaves her child to the high priest, lowercase h, lowercase p, the high priest. I have something to say to parents. If you have children, if you have children, this will happen one day to you. Except you're not giving your kid or your children to lowercase h and lowercase p high priests. You're giving your child to Jesus Christ, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. One day, you will do that. You should do that. Some parents refuse to do that. Some parents don't do that. And they over-shelter their kids. They never give their kids to Jesus Christ. And it causes great harm in the life of the kids. You know why? Because mommy and daddy become Lord. The parents present idolatrous behavior to their kids. Because instead of Jesus Christ being Lord, mommy is Lord and daddy is Lord. If you're a parent, don't do that. There's going to come a time. You know, each day with your children are, you know, it's more days that you have to let go. You're moving forward to a point where you're going to ultimately let go. You know, you carry a child. The child learns to walk and they're walking away from you. They walk away and then they learn, okay, I'm going to, I'm hungry. I'm going to walk to the fridge. You're no longer, you no longer have a baby in your arms with a bottle. The kid is now walking to the fridge, learning independence. The kid learns how to run. The kid learns how to ride a bike. Learning independence. You might ride a bike and hold on to the back, back of the seat or get some training wheels. 
and the kid goes very slow. But in the course of time, the kid is going to go faster, take off the training wheels, and is going to, you know, just ride like the wind. Then the kid's going to grow up even further. Get a driver's license. Day by day, you're slowly giving up custody. You know, spiritually speaking, but also quite literally. And I don't want to hurt your feelings. If you're a parent, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But you must have this concept, this idea deep in your heart, understanding that one day you're going to let go of your kids. And you're not letting them go off a cliff. Some parents are so freaked out. They're so terrified. You're letting go of your child into the hands of the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the best place for a child to be. Just like Hannah. Just like Hannah's doing. In fulfilling her end of the bargain. Her promise to the Lord. Her vow to the Lord. And I think it's so beautiful how we have these examples of righteousness in the Word of God. To help us, to help you, to help me. When we make vows to the Lord. Let's go back to Leviticus now. Leviticus. And so here in verse 2, at the end says, you know, a, a man consecrates by vow certain persons to the Lord according to your valuation, according to your price estimate or appraisal. If your valuation is of a male from 20 years, 20 years old uh, uh, up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver. So say we're in the tribe of Dan. We're in the tribe of Dan. You know, we're not Levites. We love the Lord, we fear the Lord, we give our sacrifices in accordance with the law, in accordance with the rules. We present them to the Lord, we give them to the priest, and the priest does his end. We do our end, the priest does his end, and the Lord does his end. And how beautiful it is, but even still we love the Lord, we fear the Lord, and we want to honor him more. And so we make a vow, how am I going to serve the Lord, how am I going to make this vow? Well, if I'm in the tribe of Dan... And, you know, say I'm, uh, say I'm 25 years old. Well, in accordance with this rule, from 20 years old up to 60 year old, then my valuation shall be 50 shekels. So I go to the priest and I say, here's 50 shekels. This is in honor of the Lord. You see, I'm serving the Lord. I'm giving valuation, this price valuation, in accordance with these rules prescribed by Holy Scripture. In the law. Not advocating the law. Remember, the law is a one-way road. It points to Jesus Christ. We're not to be at the cross of Jesus Christ and go back to the law. That's demonic. That's satanic. That's what Satan wants. Don't let Satan have his way and go back to the law. Because in the law is death. That's what we're studying in the book of Romans. And so look what happens here um, in verse 3. Then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So this is a high valuation because you think of a 20-year-old to 60-year-old is, you know, like the, the strength of a man is in this time frame. I could say maybe like mid-20s, late 20s, early 30s. After that, you start to dwindle. 
And I speak from experience. <laughs> in verse 4, if it is a female, then your, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. So a lower valuation. Me personally, I can't corroborate this anywhere. But me personally, this is just my opinion. Whenever I say that, you know, I can't corroborate this anywhere. It's, I haven't heard this anywhere, but I have a strong suspicion that this might be the case. It is probable. But I think the priests were mocking Jesus Christ by paying 30 shekels. That's what I think. The priests, I think it was in mockery of Jesus Christ. Using the law of God to mock his only begotten son. Ah, this, he's not a man. Here, let's give 30 shekels. Here, Judas, here's your 30 shekels. He's not a man. That's what I think in mockery of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're among my sisters in Christ, you know, if you have a mindset that is more feminist, you know, repent. It's not a good mindset to have. It's not a good mindset to have at all because it breeds pride. And a heart can begin to rot when, with such mindset. If you are one of my sisters in Christ, you read this and you're like, okay, why are the female, why, do they, why are they lower valuation of the male? Well, wear it, with the, wear it as a badge of honor because the valuation is 30 shekels, the same valuation that was given to our Lord and Savior himself, 30 shekels. Wear it with pride, not evil pride. Wear it with honor. Look at verse 5. And if from 5 years old up to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels, and for a female 10 shekels. And if from a month old up to 5 years old, then your valuation for a male child for a male shall be 5 shekels of silver, and for a female your valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. So think of a family Say you have, you know, a wife, say you're a 25-year-old male, and then you got a 25-year-old wife, and then you got a 10-year-old, say you're a 30-year-old husband, 30-year-old 30, 30 wife, I'm terrible at math, and then like, you know, 10-year-old kid, and another 8-year-old kid, and then you got a brand new fresh baby, and you know, think of this valuation for shekels, and you're the head of the home. And you're like, I'm in the tribe of Dan. We love the Lord. We fear the Lord. And, you know, I make these sacrifices. You know, I, the best, the first fruits of my, my flock I give to the priests and in, in service unto the Lord to make sure that we're in peace with the Lord. But even still, I love the Lord even more. So here, I'm going to go to the priest and give, you know, boom, this amount of shekels for me. Boom, this amount of shekels for my wife. Boom, this amount for my son. Boom, for my daughter. Boom, for my other daughter. And you're giving it to the priest. And you're giving it to the Lord, but it's by, through the priests. You see? So it's like we're not Levites, but we're still honoring the Lord. Valuation for a man. And so look what happened. Now, something I have to say too. For the priests, do you see the room there is for corruption? When these valuations are made, when these valuations are established? Do you see how there's room for corruption? This is corruption that we're going to see in future passages, future chapters, future books. We're going to see corruption. 
But that's not to negate the beauty of what we're reading here. It's beautiful when it's implemented and put into practice. But in the course of time, as with laws that we have today, there might be a new law on the books. You're like, okay, wow, you know, this law is to, you know, help save lives. This law is to help, you know, prevent X, Y, Z from happening. But in the course of time, corruption sets in and people take advantage of laws. They use the laws to their advantage for whatever purpose and it turns into a mess. But that's what we see with the law of God as well. But that's not to say that the inception of these rulings aren't beautiful because they are they are beautiful. And I'm not advocating the law. But for this particular moment in time, in this Levitical time period, it's beautiful because it's like very early steps of teaching in righteousness. Teaching about redemption because we're going to see re- re- redemptive values. And how to redeem, how to get certain items back, how the law contains buyback provisions. You say, wait a second, why? how could this be forward-looking? Because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption, buyback, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Grace is something that we're studying on Sundays through the book of Romans. But this whole concept of redemption becomes more personal. We've already seen passages of redemption in the past, in our past studies in Exodus, even in Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. But now it becomes more personal with these buyback provisions, redemption provisions. It becomes more personal. So already in Leviticus, you're seeing these more personal attributes of redemption. But remember the one way wrote, it all points to Jesus Christ with this great lesson. The redeeming nature of the blood of our Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. The fulfillment of the law. It's like a big, huge lesson for Israel. At this particular moment, even Gentiles who are grafted in because they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, look what happens here in verse um, in verse 6. And if from a month old up to five years old, then your valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for a female your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if from sixty years old and above... If it is male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed. The priest shall shall, shall value him. So the priests are setting up these valuations about the priesthood. These must be God-fearing people. God-fearing people. Because of the corruption that can so easily set in. I mean, think of Eli and his sons. You see, if we go back to um, um, First Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. What do you have here? You have uh, 
the two sons of Eli. Eli was the high priest, but you have the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, the, the priests of the Lord were there. But you want to know something? If you look at chapter uh, 2, verse 12 of 1 Samuel, the sons of Eli were corrupt. You see? They were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 2. What in the world are these priests doing? Serving. Why are they even here? Why are they even here? You have priests who don't even know the Lord. This is the Old Testament. The same thing happens in churches today. The same exact thing happens among the so-called pastor class, the shepherd class. I say so-called because there are shepherds, so-called shepherds, pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders, who have absolutely zero relationship with the Lord. They do not know the Lord. And yet they're serving in that leadership capacity, in shepherd capacity. Blind leaders of blind people. And if both are blind, then both fall into a ditch. You know what I'm telling to you? You know what I'm what that said, that truth that Jesus Christ gives us, you know what that says to me? I tell to you, don't follow blind people. Don't follow blind people. I don't care how cool he is, I don't care how cool she is, I don't care how whatever. Do not follow the blind. Because if you do, then you'll fall into a ditch. Let's go back to Leviticus now. In Leviticus 27, verse 9. If it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute or, uh, uh, he shall not substitute or change it or exchange it or barter it. Good for bad or bad for good. And if he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchanged for both it and the one exchange for it shall be holy. So it's not to look at an animal and say, "Well, this animal's kind of dirty, and so I'm going to exchange it. I'm going to buy. Hey, let's trade. Let's make a trade." No, it's nothing like that at all. If there is a trade that's being made, it's not based on appearance. It can be based on any something else, but it does. It's not based on appearance. You see, there's remember this is a vow, you know. It's, it's something extra. the The Lord has in His law specific animals that are given for sacrifice, and they have to be clean, no mangy animals. But say, for example, a poor guy. Say a poor guy has nothing but mangy animals because he's poor, and that he through um, through breeding. He's able to breed like, you know, uh, he's too poor for sheep, too poor for lambs, too poor for goats. But he has turtle doves. And, you know, so he's able to breed like really nice doves. But from the eyes, looking at it, you say, okay, these are still kind of mangy doves. But for him, they're beautiful doves. So he takes his prized dove, his most beautiful dove, turtle dove. And he gives it an offer to the Lord as an offering unto the Lord in accordance with the law. 
But then say, for example, this poor guy, he loves the Lord, he fears the Lord, and he's of the tribe of Dan. Okay? He's not a Levite. But, oh my goodness, he has so much love for the Lord. So he takes his mangy dove now. Not in as a sacrifice, but he takes his mangy dove and says, here, here, here's this animal that I'm giving. It's my vow to the Lord. You know, I'm not a Levite. I can't serve the Lord in the tabernacle. You know, I pray for you guys. I know that you guys are, you know, you do the tabernacle. And I pray for you guys in your ministry because you help us. You help me. You help my family. And I pray for you guys. And I can't serve in that capacity. But here's my turtle dove. He's kind of mangy. But, you know, I sacrificed my, you know, we sacrificed my other one last week. And he was the best. And so what does the priest do? They take the, the mangy turtle dove. And they accept it. You see? In verse 10, he shall not substitute. He shall not change it or exchange it. Good for bad or bad for good. It has nothing to do with appearance. It's not an offering to the Lord for sacrifice. But it's still an offering to the Lord, but in fulfillment of a vow. Remember, none of these is by compulsion. It's not by compulsion. It's when people want to make a vow. And something extra unto the Lord. It's not for everybody. But for those who had tremendous love of the Lord. And honored Him. A deep, 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 profound trust in the Lord. Just like we studied about, you know, Abraham. It was counted. He believed in the Lord. But it was like, it's hardcore belief. It's not just, you know, yeah, I believe in the Lord. It's like, you know, I believe in the Lord more than the oxygen I breathe. I trust in the Lord more than the oxygen that's in my lungs right now. I trust in the Lord more than the earth on which I stand. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about. So look what happens here. In the end of verse 10, it shall be holy. If it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord. So it's not a sacrifice. So the animal can be unclean. I'll say a camel, for example. A camel is an unclean animal. In, in accordance with the law, you're not to eat a camel. In accordance with the law, you're not to eat a camel. Okay, As new covenant believers, you know, I don't, I don't want to go against your, your conscience. But, you know, what we read in the book of Acts, you know, it's okay. Like, I've had camel burgers before. <laughs> not, as, not as good as beef burgers, but, you know, it, it may do. And, you know, I wasn't a Christian then, but, you know, I wasn't, if I was a Christian, I wasn't breaking any type of rule, scripturally speaking, as a New Covenant believer. But if I was in the law and I was eating a camel, oh, whoa, 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 then I was breaking the law. I would have been breaking the law. And so, unclean animals, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest. And the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad. As you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. So, remember, there's provisions in the law for the priests. They're doing the Lord's work. They're working in the tabernacle. They're getting everything ready for sacrifice. They're, uh, you know, everything has to be in accordance with the blueprints that were given to Moses. What we studied in Exodus. 
And then people would come. People would come. Remember, the priest, they're inspecting uh, somebody's a leper or they think they have leprosy. A guy comes, hey, a priest, I think I might be a leper. And the leper says, okay, let me see. And you heard me mention a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, I don't know when, but what if it was a female? What if it was a female who says, hey, priest, male priest? So a female comes, hey, male priest, I think I'm a leper. Do you know how dead the priest has to be to say, okay, let's go into these, you know, secret chambers and make sure that it's private. Now show me. And what, you know, the female then had to reveal herself. And then the priest would have to inspect. Now, I don't want to get graphic. But do you know how dead this priest has to be in order for this beautiful woman to be cleansed? She's fulfilling her and she's, she's in performance of the law, in doing the law. Eli's sons, wicked sons who did not know the Lord and they have no business serving as priests. And yet, because Eli didn't discipline his sons, you have a, a picture of a bad dad, a picture of a dad who wants to be his kid's best friends instead of his dad and their dad. Wicked sons, a female, a priest, I think I have, you know, leprosy. And then the sons will say, okay, let me see. And these are wicked sons. And so sin would incur. And the Lord sees. The Lord saw it all. And he killed them. He took their lives. He killed them straight up. You hear of pastors. You hear of youth leaders. You hear of elders. So-called godly men. But they're wolves. A female comes to them, hey, pastor, hey, elder, I need help. A teenager, hey, youth leader, I need help. And the youth leader is saying, oh, that's my prey. A sick, disgusting fool. You think the Lord doesn't see? Look at what he did with uh, 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 Hophni and Phineas. The Lord killed them. Took their lives and their dad's life, Eli, the high priest. God is not mocked. He is not mocked. But biblically speaking, I mean, that's biblically speaking, just that's disobedience, what God, how God reacts. Remember we talked about that last week? God is reactionary. How God reacts to Eli, Hophni, and Phineas and their wickedness. Let's say a female, you know. In the obedience side, the female in obedience goes to the priest. The priest, say he's single, a man. The woman exposes her flesh. And the priest says, okay, that's leprosy. Let's get you covered. Here's how we're going to deal with this. You know, we got to go outside the camp. Come on, I'm going to take you outside the camp. And you have to stay here. And I'm going to check. I'll bring you your food. I'll bring you your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner. And let's get you cleaned up. Because you're unclean before the Lord. Let's get you cleaned up. 
And then in the course of time, you know, meal day, you know, the priest comes, checks on her. And then the priest has to look at her again, okay. At a certain specific time period, you know, you have to show me. And so the female comes, exposes herself again. And the priest, you know, praise the Lord, it's gone. It's gone, praise the Lord. Now we let's get you, let's bring you back into the camp here. Let's set up your tent right here. Let's make your sacrifices, offers to the Lord. And let's get you cleaned up in here. Everything in service to the Lord. In the course of time, okay. You're good to go. Let's walk with the Lord. Let's honor the Lord. You see, that's obedience. That's obedience. On both sides. For the woman and for the priest. That's what the priests are supposed to be doing. Because God's people need to be right with Him. That's what the priests are supposed to be doing. But in the course of time, we're going to study and it's going to break your heart. You're going to see wickedness among the priests. You're going to see wickedness in the camp. But you're also going to see remnants. Of people who honor the Lord. Such as Hannah. Eli, the high priest, thought she was drunk. She's praying to the Lord. And Eli says, oh, you know, stop drinking. And she's praying. You see, he couldn't discern these things. Because his mind was elsewhere. His kids were priests. And they had no relationship with the Lord. They did not know the Lord. And they were killed. Eli and his two wicked sons. But there's still beauty in the law. And I'm not advocating the law. But there's still beauty in the law. In terms of what the law is intended to do. In showing people grace. In showing people mercy and God's love. And redemption through the law. And so here in verse 12. You know you have an unclean animal. Not given as a sacrifice to the Lord, but given. Remember, these are vows. And the priest shall, in verse 12, the priest shall shed a value for it, whether it is good or bad. As you, the priest, set, uh, 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 as, you, the, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. Remember, so the priests have responsibilities as Levites. They're doing the Lord's work, but also you're going to see wickedness creeps in among the priesthood. But then you're also going to see freeloaders, which is also wickedness. Freeloaders. I mean, we just got done with the book of Acts. Look at the priests. Like, what, what in the world are they doing chasing Paul all around town? When you know there's rampant sin. What in the world are they? I mean, look at their own sin. They're chasing Paul around. They conspired to kill our Lord. What about the people who are bringing their offerings to the Lord? They're not about God's business. They're about wicked business. Evil business. And thinking they're right with the Lord. Then you read Matthew 23 and you understand Jesus Christ's indictment. Woe to you, Pharisees. 
you whitewash tombs. You understand it completely. Oh, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. How could it be so mean? No. He's righteous, Jesus Christ. And he's calling them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. Because look what was become. And so in verse 13, I mean, even still to this day, we have pastors who are freeloaders. I know pastors who make a lot of money. I mean, it's one thing to make money in business, but it's another thing to fleece the sheep. Or, yeah, pastors who, in their contract, they don't even live. I mean, it's understandable if they live in, like, you know, Palisades in Boca, in Manhattan, even, you know, Soho. Uh, it's understandable. Not that saying that I agree with it, but it's understandable given price valuations of the cost of living. But in rural America, small town America, big churches, and in their contract, pastors have to make 250000 That's their contract, 250000 Half a million dollars. And so, okay, that's, that's criminal. But then at the same time, I mean, you have, what, what do they do? They go online. I mean, they don't even study the Bible. They go online, go to, you know, these, you know, you, you pay, I don't know, 20 bucks a month. I don't know what it is. You pay whatever fee. You download the sermon. You download the notes. And all you do is stand here on a Sunday and you read these prearranged notes. It's like, a, it's like a, if you ever read a script, like a movie script or a play script. It tells you exactly what to do, when to flail your arms, when to make motions, when to laugh, when to pause, when to make a joke, when to do this. And that's what they are. It's like a script. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Actors. That's what they are. And they make a lot of money fleecing the flock of God who make their tithes, who make their offerings. Then you have these freeloaders who call themselves pastors. Where's the intercession? Where's the prayer for the flock? Where's the study of the Word of God? Have you ever talked with pastors before who have no idea what the Word of God says? It'll shock you. It will shock you. Pastors who have no idea. And it will break your heart. Because he's, this guy is feeding the flock of God. This guy doesn't even know the word. This guy doesn't even live the word. And he's feeding the flock. Then you look at the flock and you see anemic sheep, anemic lambs. Weak. Why? Because there's no power. Not that the pastor's big shot. The power comes from the word of God. Very important. You see these parallels. We're studying the Old Testament, but you see parallels as New Covenant believers. And so look what happens here. In verse 13, but if he wants, if he wants at all to redeem it, so, so you have buyback provisions. 
redemption. Redemption. Remember, you see redemptive passages in Genesis, uh, redemptive passages in uh, uh, Exodus, in earlier chapters. But now it's more personal. Because, say for example, uh, uh, the poor guy, the poor guy with the turtle dove, who gave his best turtle dove as a sacrifice unto the Lord, but then he gave his mangy one, like the second best. It was kind of mangy, but he gave his second best as a vow to the Lord. Or you have another guy with more money. He gave his ox for, as a sacrifice unto the Lord because he's, he's not poor, so he's not giving a turtle dove. He's wealthy, so he's giving an ox, maybe several ox. And now he's giving a camel as his, it's unclean, an unclean animal, so it's not, you can't eat it. In accordance with the law, you can't eat it. But he's giving a camel and as his vow. Now, the priest could use a camel. What if, what, if the, what if a priest wants to go on a journey for, you know, I don't know, whatever reason? But what if they, they need it? They could pack some stuff. Or what if they move from, you know, one position to another position and they got to pack up all the tabernacle equipment, all the gear? All the items, the utensils. Well, they had to carry it, but so they carry the the items. But then their homes, they can pack it on the camels. So you have unclean animals for eating, but they can still be put in service. So it's all for the work of the Levitical ministry. People making these vows, people giving to aid. And it's an example for us today. When you're in church, when you're in fellowship. To support the ministry. Support the ministry. Give of your tithes. Give of your offerings and support the ministry. Now, me personally, I love Paul's example. Paul says, I don't want your money. I don't want you. But freely, uh, I, if really I have received, freely I give. I don't want your money. He even says to the church in Corinth. He says, I have every right to, to take money from you, but you know what? I don't want it. I don't want it. I love that. I think more pastors should take Paul's cue. More pastors need to take Paul's cue. You know why? Because what a great lesson it is on sacrifice. <laughs> sacrifice. What a great lesson it is on sacrifice. And when people come, you know, chop off your head and they say, hey, pastor, you stop teaching the Bible. You stop preaching this. You stop, you know, feeding your congregation or else we're going to chop off your head. You can look up at this guy off of your neck and say, wait a second, before you proceed to chop off my head. I've sacrificed. I've lived in sacrifice. And now I'm going to give you the ultimate sacrifice. But before you take off my head, let me tell you, God loves you. God loves you and he wants you to accept his son. And then boom, head comes off. Paradise. Because you're accustomed to sacrifice. It's not a strange thing to you, sacrifice. I think a lot of pastors should learn from Paul. And so, let's go back here to look at uh, verse 13. So, you know, you can redeem, you can buy it back. So say you give, say you're a rich guy in the tribe of Dan. And, you know, the guy in front of you gave a turtle dove in his vow. And then so you come with your camel and say, here, this is for you priests. It's for the, for the usage of the priests, for the Levites. So they can use it. 
it's put in certain, but then say, for example, you're like, oh, wait, you know, I want my camel back, you know, say, you know, like a month passes or five months passes or a year passes, two years, whatever time period. And we're going to see there's a valuation in accordance with Jubilee as well. So oh, I want my turtle dove back. Oh, I want my camel back. Well, there's a provision in the law where it says in verse 13, if, if he wants at all to redeem it or buy back, then he must add one fifth to your valuation. So what's the price? What's the valuation for the camel? Okay, now add 20%. You see? I have to say this. You see how dangerous this is if God isn't feared? For a priest to place a valuation on a camel and then charge 20%? You see, if God isn't feared, how there's major room for corruption. That's what happens when the fear of God isn't taught. Corruption, money. But the same thing happens today. Pastors who don't fear God. So instead of 250,000, they put in their contract, okay, this year I'm going to do 300,000. And I'm also going to have a private jet. And I'm also going to have a parsonage on the beach. Nice, you know, tax haven. A lot of pastors are in it for the taxes, the tax advantages. Rather than the blessings of the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, they go after the tax advantages. I could tell you stories. I could tell you accounts. But I won't. Not yet, at least. <laughs> and so look what happens here in verse 14. And when a man dedicates his house or consecrates his house to be holy to the Lord. So this is all in, placed in service unto the Lord. So say you're a wealthy guy. You give a vow of a camel. And it, you, you still love, it doesn't end your love of the Lord and your fear of the Lord and your desire to honor the Lord. So then you go to the Levites, hey Levites, you know, I have this, you know, this extra tent, this, uh, this extra home that I have. And here, I want to give it to you. Here it is. Take it. It's for you, for your services, for, you know, whatever you want to do. And so maybe the priests want to go there and, you know, have a little prayer room, you know. And so the Levites are going to, you know, whatever. It's in service to the Levites. The Levites aren't the one because, you know, they're in service unto the Lord. They're doing the Lord's business. So it's not like a freeloader's mindset where it's like, wow, you know, look, not like a, 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 a communist. You know, wow, look, I'm a freeloader. I get a free house. I get a free camel. I get, you know, a free turtle dove. I get the free this, free that. It's nothing like that at all. Not socialism. But a rich guy can say, look, I got this extra home. It's for you. You see? And then the priest would go there and, you know, whatever, you know. Maybe they, there was a big priest, a family. Maybe the, the priest and his wife, they had like a bunch of kids and they were like busting out of the seams of their tent. And so a rich guy can say, here, take my tent. And it's not for the priest. I mean, it's for the benefit of the priest, but it's a vow to the Lord. Lord, this is for you. The priest is the benefactor. Now you see a picture in the law of reciprocity of ministry. You hear me mention that every now and then? Reciprocity of ministry. 
you hear me say like pew Christians, but sometimes pew, the pews can be pulpits too because of pew ministry unto the pastor, unto the leadership. Blessing the pastor, blessing the elders. You see? And you know, me personally, I have no greater joy than to know my children in the faith are walking in the truth of Holy Scripture. No greater joy. And I don't want to stand on any pedestal. If it seems like I'm standing on any pedestal by saying this, you know, let my pedestal be the lowest point on the planet Earth. But if you want to do something in service unto the Lord in this reciprocity of ministry, I beg of you, I urge of you, walk in truth. Walk in truth. There's no greater joy, no greater joy for a pastor to know that his flock, which is on loan, you know, it's temporal. It's God's flock. To know that a flock is walking in the truth of Holy Scripture. Because then his, he, he can know and have assurance his job is done. Yeah, he'll feed. Yeah, he'll teach. But his job is done. He can die in peace. You see? Obedience to the Word of God. Obedience to the will of God. Yeah, You ever see pastors who like the gifts? They always thought, oh yeah, you know, you should bless your pastor, bless your pastor like this. And they themselves are freeloaders, little socialists, socialist pastors. They'll come over to your house, knock on your door, hey, how you doing? They'll open the fridge, oh, what's in the fridge? They'll, you know, eat your leftover spaghetti, what you were going to eat for dinner that night. Drink all your soda that you have in the fridge. They drink it all. Then they leave, you know, they'll, they'll lay on your couch and it's like, you know, you want to honor the Lord, but it's like, wait a second, is this for real? Is this really happening? Yeah, these freeloader pastors, little socialist pastors, little communists, you know, they're just freeloaders. And they're taking advantage of their authority, taking advantage of their position. Taking advantage. And they raid your fridge, you know. And you have your little sanctuary, which is your home. And it's not even a sanctuary because it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? I don't want to use my house for this, so we're going to use your house for this. They're freeloader pastors. Now, it's another thing. When you make a vow to the Lord and you say, Lord, you know, I'm going to use my house. I'm going to put my home in service unto you. And then you tell the pastor, hey, pastor, I want to put my home in service unto, in, unto the Lord. You know, do you, is there anything you could use this house for? I want to put my camel in service unto the Lord. Here, here it is. I'm going to put my whatever in service unto the Lord. That's a vow between you and the Lord. The pastors, they're not even part of the equation. They are, but for a very minimal role. It's a vow that you make unto the Lord. And it's such a blessing when you see it happen. Oh, look, I'm going to put this in service unto the Lord. Here, you can use this. What a blessing it is. It's like an unspoken, 
unspoken blessing. It's not contrived of man. It's not compelled by man. Because remember Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear. You see? To hear. Because that's where faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. And as faith grows, you're going to fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. To the point where you're going to stop making vows to the Lord. And in honor of the Lord, you keep your vow. Now, take the pastor out of the equation. What is your vow to the Lord in, you know, whatever? Your promise unto the Lord to not be a tax cheat? You know, your promise unto the Lord to serve Him in whatever capacity? Your vow to the Lord? I mean, people talk about habitual sin. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I just, you know, the Lord is merciful, but, you know, I, I go to the strip clubs every weekend. But, you know, God is gracious. Fools. Oh, God is gracious, uh, but I, I, I can't kick the crack. So, you know, I'm a crackhead. I got my meth mouth. Fools. What about a vow to the Lord? You know, people talk about habitual sin. What about habitual vows? You know, make a vow to the Lord. Lord, for this week, I promise you, Lord. When my friends call me to go to the strip club, I'm going to say no. I promise to you, Lord. And in the course of that week, you fulfill your end of the bargain. And the Lord sees. And not just for a week, but then the next week, Lord, I'm going to make my vow to you again. Or cussing, dirty language. Lord, I commit to you for the next 24 hours. I'm not going to say a cuss word. I commit to you. I promise to you, Lord. Here's my vow to you. And you fulfill your end of the bargain and the Lord sees. And He honors. He sees all. He sees it all. He sees your heart. He knows your motives. He tests your mind. He knows your heart. And your heart gets softer and softer and softer and softer. And you die. You die. The old man dies. The old woman dies. And you carry your cross to your death. And you look forward to your death. You cannot wait till you die. You know why? Because of paradise. Paradise awaits. So look what happens here. Leviticus. Chapter 7. Or 27. Verse 14, and when a man dedicates or consecrates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad. So it doesn't matter. So you're a poor guy and you're like, here's my house. It's for the Lord, but you know, priest, you can use it. A dirty priest would say, what is this? You know, this is like my garage. How am I going to use this? You know, I don't even put my... My camel's in here. I don't even put my, you know, my, my turtle doves in here. That's a dirty priest that would say such a wicked thing. No. It's 
out of a person's love for the Lord and an honor for the Lord, they say, hey, priest, here's my house. And the priest makes evaluation on it. I don't care if it's a million-dollar house, a $10 million house, or a $50,000 house. Or if you're in Detroit, you know, a $5,000 house. You know, I'm not saying anything negative about Detroit, but, you know, there's property values are pretty cheap in some parts. Or if you're in the third world, you know, $500 for a house. It doesn't matter. The valuation, you know, it, there's a valuation placed on the home in accordance with the law. There's a valuation placed on the home. But what matters is what's happening inside the heart for a poor guy to say, here, this is for you, Lord. Making a vow, putting his home in service unto the Lord. This is for you, Lord. Yeah, it's just a little, you know, 10 by 10 shack. Or what about a rich guy? This is, you know, 10,000 by 10,000. See, it's everything to do with the heart. And so look what happens here. Whether it is good or bad, as the priest value it, so it shall stand. So I have a recommendation for pastors. Pastors specifically. Maybe some elders, but for pastors specifically. Here's my recommendation. Keep your eyes out of the treasury. Keep your eyes out of the treasury. Because people might give 50 cents, people might give $50, or people might give $50,000. But keep your eyes out of the treasury. Because that's between the giver and that's between their God, the one you serve. You see? Your focus, if you're a pastor, your focus should be on Ecclesiastes 5, one. What we, what, we, what we looked at. For people to come in, come into the house of God for the sole purpose of hearing the word. That's why make every effort as much as you can to get rid of distractions. No distractions. Don't be a distraction yourself. You know, mute your phone. You know, tell the congregation, mute your phones. Because the Holy Spirit might be chipping away at a hard heart. And then all of a sudden the phone goes off. You know, and then you see whatever happened, you know. Somebody answers it, you know, that's the worst. Somebody answers it. Distraction. So what if the Holy Spirit is chipping away at somebody's hard heart? And then all of a sudden, you know, focuses on the Word of God. And then all of a sudden a phone rings. And then you have... You know, some guy who answers it, some lady who answers it. Boom, distraction. How the enemy can capitalize on those moments to draw attention away from the work of the Lord. So when you teach, minimize as many distractions as possible because people need to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And don't forget too, Ecclesiastes 5.1, uh, draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. So in the house of God, you have fools and prudent. It's not to focus on the prudent primarily, but the Lord will reveal who the prudent are. You're going to see fools in the church. If you're a pastor, you're going to see fools in your congregation. And those are the ones that you're probably going to counsel a lot.
But praise be to the Lord. You know, it's in the course of time, Lord willing, they'll be sharpened. It's to do away with the foolishness. And that comes by teaching the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So let's go back to Leviticus 27, uh, verse 15. If he who dedicated wants to redeem his house, wants to buy back his house, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. So it's the valuation of the house plus 20%. 20%. So you see how the priest, how there's a lot of room here for corruption? Because they can place a value Get the 20% and, you know, okay, the house is back yours. Like, boom, wow, look, I made 20% on this on this deal. Carnal, carnality among the priesthood. It seeps in and we're going to see it in subsequent chapters. We're going to see it in subsequent books. Just like we see in the church. In the New Testament. And we also see it in the church today. Wicked pastors. You know, hirelings is what the Lord calls them. Hirelings. They're just there for the money. Hirelings. But when evil comes, when hardship comes, you know, the hirelings don't stick around. They flee. Why? Because they're chickens. They're little scaredy cats. They're not shepherds at all. They're little weaklings. When danger comes, when harm comes, they're scaredy cats. They're not warriors. And so... Let's look what happens here in, in verse 15. Or, uh, th th so the buyback provisions. Do you see how personal this becomes? So, so we've seen redemption in past uh, um, uh, chapters and books. Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, earlier chapters in Leviticus. You see the mention of redemption. But now these buyback provisions in the law, now it becomes personal. Because a person can give their camel, and like after five years, man, I really need that camel. I'm gonna, re I'm gonna redeem that camel. I'm gonna buy back that camel. It becomes personal. Five months, man, I really need that camel. Or a poor guy, man, I really could use that house that I gave. And so, okay, now I'm gonna work hard, get this extra money so I can buy it back, and then pay back twenty percent, and I'm gonna buy it back. So you see how personal this concept of redemption becomes to the giver, the person making the vow? Because the Lord is teaching His heart to the people when He redeems them. When He redeems them, so the future generations can know like, whoa, wow, look at what the Lord has done for us. But even present tense, you know, back in time, but even present tense when the Lord makes promises of redemption and even future tense when there's prophecy about the redemption that is by the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And even future, future prophecies of the last days and the redemption of Israel. It all becomes like because it's been personalized through the law, these provisions in the law, it becomes deeper. Faith can be deeper. It can't be mandated. You can't command anybody, hey, you have to have deep faith. You can't command that. Who can, who 
hey, you must have deep faith in the Lord. You must have deep trust in the Lord. Who? No man can, can, can command such things. But you can give it to the Lord. As your faith grows, as you trust in Him more and more and more and deeper and deeper and deeper, you might be standing on earth and your trust in the Lord is stronger than your trust in the earth to support you. Sit in the strongest of chairs and your faith and trust in the Lord is stronger than your faith and trust in the legs of, those, of that chair. Stronger than the air in your lungs, the air you breathe. You see? This is like preschool. What we're looking at here in Leviticus is like preschool of a grand lesson. Remember, a one-way road. When I say one-way road, think of it like preschool. You're not in you know, high school and you go back to preschool. No, because it's a one-way road. You go to preschool, kindergarten, first, second, third. I don't know. I think it's preschool and then kindergarten. I forgot. But, you know, okay, so first grade, second, two, three, four, five, six. So that order. You don't go from high school to preschool. Uh, from uh, 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 third year college to kindergarten. You know, because it's a one-way road. The same is with the law. It's a one-way road. You're not at the cross of Jesus Christ and you go back to the law. That's what Satan wants because he wants to pull you away from the cross. And he wants you under the law where there's death. So don't believe that lie. I'm speaking to about the Hebrew Roots Movement. People who want to go back to the law. Oh, Jesus Christ, all the prophets, the disciples, they were Jewish. So let's understand this, you know, the law, the Torah. And they use all these Jewish words, or the Hebrew words. Let's go back to this. And they start speaking Hebrew. It's like, what in the world? You know, a white guy born in Minnesota. And he's speaking Hebrew. Not even Jewish. And he's speaking Hebrew. He puts the, you know, the prayer thing over his head. It's like, what in the world is he doing? What are you doing? You're a Gentile. Don't go back to the law. Because if you go back to the law, you know what that means? You turn your back on Jesus Christ. That's what it means. You say, well, that's too harsh. I have to be harsh in saying this because I want you to understand. Sometimes I have to be harsh in certain things. So when, you know, smooth talker comes knocking on your door, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're a messianic church. We teach the this, we teach, you say, no way. No way. Because I remember hearing this harsh message. Sometimes I have to be harsh. It's not that I, I, I want to be harsh. That's why I'm so thankful that, you know, I was like born in this time. Because, you know, I have certain abrasiveness to my delivery of certain things. But I rejoice and I praise the Lord for the harsh nature of the culture that we live in. Because I can speak this way and it's not a surprise. You, these, you know, not that I aim to do that. But I have to be harsh in certain topics for your soul. I don't want you to turn your back to Jesus Christ. 
even when Satan will make it seem like you're serving him. He's crafty. Do not be deceived, my friend. My beautiful, beloved friend, do not be deceived. So look what happens here. In verse 16, if a man decides or decides or, or, or dedicates, if a man dedicates or consecrates to the Lord part of a field of his possession. So look at what we've looked at so far. We've looked at people, animals, a house, and now a field of his possession. Then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee. And it shall be deducted from your valuation. So you have a reduced rate. <laughs> so you have these monetary values placed and the, the year of Jubilee is a big deal because that was like, you know, zero debt. The year of Jubilee, which we studied a couple weeks ago. Zero debt. But because, look at all what we're speaking about, all these monetary values. It's easy to see. It's easy, easy, easy to see how corruption can enter. Because we're talking about monetary values. We're talking about money. It's easy to see. You have to fight. You have to fight, my friend. Fight the good fight. You have to. Because Satan is a master trickster. Master trickster. He knows how to make people fall. Young, old, male, female. He knows how to make people fall. And he does make people fall. And he's very, very effective. And I don't say this to scare you. We're only to fear the Lord. A fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. The living God. But that doesn't mean we're, we don't put up a fight. We're supposed to fight. Fighting the good fight. So you have this reduced rate until the year of Jubilee in verse 19. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it by back provisions... Then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall belong to him. So the valuation plus 20%. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it, has been re when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priests. Now, these statutes that we're looking at in Leviticus... We're going to see Old Testament hypocrisy. And, you know, these are beautiful things. I don't mean to, like, you know, hit pause and then all of a sudden speak about negative aspects. But I do it for a reason. Because we're going to see hypocrisy start to creep in the camp. I mean, you can see this right here, of course. So you see the monetary, because of these monetary valuations, it's easy to understand corruption. But when you hear about property being the possession of the priests, now you can understand not only corruption via money, but corruption via uh, possession, via asset, via land corruption. It's easy. And when you see in the Old Testament this hypocrisy, you can never blame God for that. 
Likewise, when you see hypocrisy among Christians today, you can never blame God for that. And that's what we see sometimes. Have you ever talked to a guy, talked to a gal about Jesus Christ? And because of hypocrisy that they've seen inside the church, because of hypocrisy they've seen among Christians, what do I need Jesus Christ for? What do I need Jesus for? I, you know, I went to the strip club with this pastor the other day. I got drunk with this pastor the other day. What do I need Jesus for? What's he going to save me from? Look at this pastor. Look what he's doing. What, what do I... You, you're going to tell me about the, the, the power of God? I'm stronger than that. Look at this pastor. You see, when people are given to their own devices and they see these things, hypocrisy in the church, hypocrisy, hypocrisy among pastors and elders, You bring shame to Jesus Christ. Shame to the name of Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you're the hypocrite, you bring shame to Jesus Christ. And you hurt. You hurt the kingdom of God. I know this is abrasive for me to say it like this. But is it not true? If you're listening to me right now and you have experienced hypocrisy in the church and you're hurt by hypocrites, maybe you're not hurt, maybe you're just, you just call it like you see it. You're like, you know, what do I need Jesus for? Where's the power of God when, you know, this so called pastor is, you know, he has meth mouth. This so called pastor, you know, he's at the strip clubs. This so-called pastor, you know, he's, you know, selling drugs. This so-called pastor, he's having sex with all these ladies in the church. And the co-pastors, they don't call him on it. The elders, they don't call him on it. If you call that power, I want nothing to do with that. If that's you, and you've witnessed this hypocrisy... Don't blame God for that. Do not blame God for that because that's not God. That's man. That's man yielding to Satan. That's not man yielding to God. Now, if I were a Calvinist, if I was Reformed, if I were mainline uh, Presbyterian, I could say blame God because he ordained that to happen. He willed for that to happen. He predestined that to happen. He predestined you to feel that way. If I was Calvinist. But you know what? I'm not a Calvinist. That's Reformed theory. It's not Reformed theology. It's Reformed theory because it's a theory of man. And some of these men are so-called shepherds who are hypocrites who teach the flock because they lean heavily on once saved, always saved, 
they teach that it's okay to teach the mark of the beast. If you don't know what I'm talking about, sometimes I say that, nah, you know, but if, if you've heard me say that before, and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? You know, after this message, scroll, you're gonna have to scroll for a while, but scroll, I forgot when it went, when it was, but look for a message that says, do not take the mark of the beast and listen to that. And you'll hear audio of a so-called pastor, a so-called shepherd, teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. He is reformed. Reformed theory. It's just a theory. But it's, it doesn't stand up to Scripture. It doesn't stand up to the test of Scripture. Have you ever talked to a rape victim? A victim of gang rape even? Oh, I'm so hurt. I don't trust men. I don't trust anybody anymore. Why not? What happened? Oh, I was, you know, whatever. Whatever it might be. Or a, a guy who's been molested by a pastor. I don't trust people in churches anymore. Why? What happened? I was raped. I was molested. I was gang raped. And for a Calvinist to say, well, God ordained that to happen. God willed for that to happen. God created evil. He predestined that to happen. How can you say such a thing? And not just to say it. But say it and pretend that it's scriptural. It's not scriptural. That person is a victim of fallen man. And the choice of fallen man. As a fallen man made a choice to yield to Satan. But to say, God ordained for you to be raped. God ordained for you to be molested. And, you know, to top it off, to say for his glory. That's poisonous doctrine, my friend. So I'm not reformed. I'm also not Arminius. People say, oh, he's not reformed, so he's Arminius. No, I'm not Arminius. I just read the Bible. That's really it. I just read the Bible. Nothing fancy, you know. I don't have like a big... Library, you know, I just read the Bible. I think it's kind of funny how all the Sola Scriptura people have the biggest libraries. Kind of funny, kind of odd to me. What's wrong with the Bible? It was, oh, you have to understand church history and Augustine and all these things. What? Augustine taught heresy. Oh, that's heretical. How could you say such a thing? Read his writings. Oh, the institutes of the Christian religion. Are you serious? Read the writings of John Calvin. And tell me how it aligns with Scripture. You see? Doctrine, false doctrine can do a lot of harm. So, let me go back to my original point. 
if you've been impacted by hypocrites. And you're listening to my words, you're listening to my voice, you're listening to our message here. Don't blame God. Don't blame Jesus Christ for the act of the hypocrite, for the words of the hypocrite, for the behavior of the hypocrite. Do not blame Jesus Christ because He loves you. He loves you. He's on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do while He's dying. While He's dying. And He loves you. Don't let the hypocrisy of man, of woman, of anybody deter you away from God's love because it's a free gift. This gift of salvation. This gift of redemption. This intimacy that He desires with you in a love relationship with you. You're going to see hypocrisy in the Old Testament, hypocrisy in the New Testament, and hypocrisy today. It's alive and well. But don't blame God for that. I beg of you, do not blame the Lord. Let's go back here to verse 22. And if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, so it's not his ancestral land. So I'll give an example. Say there's a wealthy guy who is has his field and it's his ancestral land. Is, is, you know, it's, it's been in the family for a while, but he's loaded. And so he starts buying other parcels of land. So that's what this is. It's not a field of his possession. It's not ancestral. It's just extra land that he's buying. Then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to the one who owned the land as a possession. So the rich guy buys this extra parcel of land. It's not a part of his, his, his uh, ancestral land, his family territory. He buys this extra parcels of land, but in the year of Jubilee, it goes back to the original owner, the one from whom he bought it, to the one who owned the land as a possession. Verse 25, And all your valuations shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, twenty geras to the shekel. But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's first, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate, whether it is an ox or a sheep, it is the Lord. So this is a prior rule. Prior rule, Exodus 13, a prior rule, it's our firstborn already belongs to the Lord. In verse 27, and if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation and shall add one fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. Nevertheless, no devoted offering or no irrevocable offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. No buyback provision when it's an irrevocable offering. No buyback provision. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. That's why we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 
Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. Verse 5, better, to, to, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. You see? And, you know, every in verse 28 of Leviticus 27, every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. This is an irrevocable offering. In verse 29, no person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Whoa, this is heavy. No person under the ban. So it's this rule of irrevoc irrevocable offering. But under this rule, says no person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction. Remember, this is what we studied last week. This happens through disobedience. And we're going to see it more in Deuteronomy. The blessings of obedience and then the curse of disobedience. And it's all reactionary. The Lord's reaction to a person's choices. You choose obedience the Lord will respond. You choose disobedience, the Lord will respond. How does He respond? Well, according to your choice. It's reactionary. Oh, but God is merciful to whom He has mercy. Okay. But even that is conditional. We looked at that last week. In Exodus 20, that mercy is conditional. Exodus 20, verse 6, showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. See, mercy is conditional. You love the Lord? Okay, praise the Lord. You do well. Keep His commandments. Follow Jesus Christ. Keep His word. Abide in Christ. So in accordance with the law, in verse 29 here, Leviticus 27, no person under this ban, or this rule of irrevocable offering, who may become doomed to destruction, this happens through disobedience, among men, Shall uh, 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 no person, the very first word of verse 29, no person, and then here in continuation of the verse, shall be redeemed. So wait a second. No buyback provisions for this person? No. Shall surely be put to death. This is a result of disobedience. You know what's interesting about, you know, you see the word men here, among men? That's Adam in the Hebrew, Adam. You see, man, man, variants of the word. Nine times out of ten, the Hebrew word is Adam. Adam. Very interesting. Do you remember our study in Romans a couple weeks ago? About how in Adam brought forth sin. But then what about Jesus Christ? You see, how the Lord gives, just in one little verse, how the Lord is giving this beautiful, beautiful instruction through the law, through these statutes in the law. These rules on vows, which aren't really, not really all, I mean, it's in the law, but it's not really a law like you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. It's a vow. It's, if you want to give extra to the Lord, if you want to honor the Lord, it's not by compulsion. It's if you make this vow to the Lord promise unto the Lord then this is what you must do and don't bring disobedience to the table because there's no redemption in that in accordance with the law this statute this provision in the law 
When you present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord, just like we studied just last Sunday, you must reckon the old man dead. You must reckon the old woman dead. You must carry your cross to your death. Water baptism, that's your gravesite. That's your gravesite. You're dead. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. And we must walk accordingly. People say, accuse me all the time. Oh, you teach works-based salvation. You teach works-based salvation. Number one, that's not, it's not works-based. But it's a death-based walk. A lot of people need to learn how to walk as dead. Just like Paul. Walk as dead. Because he was dead to self and alive in Christ. Just like Peter. Just like beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Just like beautiful, beautiful Prissa and Aquila. Beautiful, beautiful people. There's, I, mean, I love so many people in Holy Scripture. I love them all. But there's certain ones where it's like, oh my, whoa, this, this guy's awesome. This lady's awesome. Hannah. What a beautiful, beautiful woman. And so let's continue in closing. In verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, remember that. My recommendation is that you keep your eyes out of the treasury. Keep your hands out of the treasury. That's my strong recommendation to pastors. Whatever a person gives, that's between them and the Lord, and it belongs to the Lord. Remember the lesson that the Lord gives us about the lady with the two mites? Two mites. And when you read the Gospels in chronological order, you know what you see? You see Jesus and his disciples across the street, and they're looking across the street, across this road and they see a line of people giving tithes, giving their offerings. And you see people with big, huge money bags. They're like, wow, look how much money this guy gave. Wow, look, this guy gave a lot. Whoa, look at this lady, this. And then you see a little old lady walking in, plink, plink, two little coins. And Jesus Christ tells the disciples, they're across the street. They're looking, they're observing. And Jesus Christ tells the disciples, this lady gave more than all of them. This lady gave more than all of them because she's poor. She's in her poverty. She's sacrificed. Because, you know, what's two coins to a rich guy? You know, what's what's a hundred bucks to a rich lady? What's a thousand bucks to the wealthy? What's ten thousand to the wealthy? They write these checks like nothing. But to the poor... You know what $100 is to a poor person? You know what $5 is to a poor person? You know what a dollar is? That's a lot of money. And this poor person in her poverty, she walks up to the offering, plink, plink. Can you imagine the sound of people like laughing at her in line? 
People give these big old money bags and plop a sack of money. And then here she is with her little plink plink. People are like, what in the world? Who is this lady? She doesn't belong here. Imagine her mockers. You know, you hear the plop plop of the big money bags, then you hear the plink plink of her little coins. Who is this lady? Get her out of here. She doesn't belong here. This is for the fat cats, you know. We're giving our tithes here. She doesn't belong here. And Jesus Christ across the street with his disciples. This lady gave more. Because he sees the heart. You must understand he sees the heart. Where lies the circumcision? That's what he sees. People always look at the outward. But the Lord looks at the heart. We're not talking about those fat cats anymore. There's nothing captured in scripture about those fat cats. But this beautiful, beautiful woman who dropped her coins. Oh, how beautiful she is. And I can't wait to meet her. I cannot wait to meet her. Let's look at what happens here in verse 31. In closing, if a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. So remember, all of this comes at a cost. Add 20%. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange, no bartering, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. So it's not based on looks, just like we studied earlier in verse 10. It's not based on looks. Both of it and the one exchange for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Verse 34, in closure of our study and in closing of our study in the book of Leviticus. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. God bless you guys. I love you guys.